Rick Madison here with the man of O-Town, Ralph Livingston. Welcome, Ralph. Welcome, Rick. It's great to be here. So, Ralph, uh, you, I mean, among other achievements, having uh, wonderful children, wonderful wife, man about town, um, and staying out of jail, I mean, is, is the other great achievement. But I want to talk a bit about uh, the PGA, okay? Let's just dive right into the sports here. We have an, an offshoot, which is being, uh, so DJ... Uh, Sergio. Sergio. Oh, Sergio now. Too. Sergio now. Okay. So just so uh, listeners can understand what we're talking about, um, this is a, a Saudi Arabian offshoot, I guess fueled because they're donating towards these players. Uh, for Dustin Johnson, who's a well-known player on the PGA Tour, still competitive, $125 million guaranteed in the bank just for showing and playing on their tour, on their in their events. Now, you as a man of principle... Would you uh, would you leave the PGA or would you go for the guaranteed cash? An interesting question. It hasn't. I haven't been made any offers. I, I can't understand why. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I heard someone talking about you know you're setting your family up for generations when you accept an offer like that, and they've worked very hard to get to the position in, in the sporting world where they're at, when they're a name that's recognized, they're not going to offer it to anyone except the big, big, big names. Phil Mickelson comes to mind, Dustin Johnson, Sergio, and of course there's um, Greg Norman behind it as well. But my, I guess my bottom line uh, question is, when is enough money enough? Uh, mm-hmm. I haven't looked up what uh, Dustin's made on the, on the tour, but it would be measured in tens of millions of dollars. So when do you need more money? Like, uh, and um, far be it for me to get into the nitty gritty of it, but uh, Phil Mickelson has been caught up in the um, controversy around the, the human rights issues of, of the Saudis and, and uh, some of the uh, events that have taken place that are kind of unsavory that, with that country. And do you want to be associated with that? Will you sell out? Mm. And, and and I think part of it, too, is you're right with how much is enough. And if they leave the PGA Tour, if I'm not mistaken, the the records are, are going to have, you know, there there's really no legacy piece, no historical piece. I mean, wins on the PGA Tour is, is really the crowning achievement. Majors, of course. But they are, they're walking away from a legacy piece that is, in a lot of respects, timeless. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. The other thing you got to remember is that the world never stays the same. It, there's going to be change coming along, and these guys are going. Well, you can have your, you know, all your judgment of of me and everything else, but I've got 125 million. <laughs> you know what? When you put it that way, I do believe they have 125 million reasons to do it. But it's just an interesting sports uh, enthusiast piece because, you know, for for some of us, you know, we, we are armchair quarterbacks and a whole bunch of other things. So we can always, you know, dissect these things as we shall. But it, it's interesting that there is this massive payday versus, uh, in, in my view, what does your record say? And, and those things live on. And, and you're right. A lot of those players have enough money in the bank, honestly. Mm-hmm. Well, Mickelson certainly does. I, he's like a gazillionaire, and mm-hmm. and I I heard that 
Prayer to his win uh, last year, he was making $50 million a year on endorsements. And, right. and he had everyone loved him. He was lefty. He was a guy that would do good interviews and had a sense of humor. And his, his reputation, I think, has taken a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in the locker room, I've heard, though, that his nickname is Fig Jam. Uh, so if, if you ever want to, Google Fig Jam, and uh, we can't say it on the radio. But uh, it's, it's F I'm good, just ask me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so well, anyway. <laughs> the other thing is you need a bit of uh, self-importance and self-confidence uh, to reach the levels that they have all reached. Uh, it may be more than your average mortal. Yes. Okay. And they, they have that sense of, en- it grows to an sense of entitlement that, um, the name that won't be mentioned won't go there uh doesn't need to because he's at the top of the heap and it wouldn't add anything to his legacy but uh, you don't get that good by being uh, um suffering from low self-confidence so so you're saying if tiger would never ever go over there yeah yeah i would be stunned yeah uh he doesn't need the money and he i mean he's he's been on the wrong side of the glare of 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 celebrity yeah. and uh he doesn't need more uh, you know yeah. the stuff that, that mickelson's going through i i to be really honest uh with uh, i can't speak too much about dustin johnson i was a little shocked when i saw him come in but i thought maybe uh mickelson had had slipped a gear or something like i mean how much money do you need yeah. or is it that he's in the in the the shadow of his career you know he's he's gone over the top and it's all left as a champions tour and you know whether or not you can beat bernard langer like yeah yeah no he's he is one of those players that uh as always he's kind of gone he, he marched to the beat of his own drum though like mm-hmm. I mean, that is that is phil's way how long have you lived in Kelowna? 40 years 45 years i came here in the spring of 77 Okay, and that's and that is the very reason that in your uh, art, articulations and eloquence is uh, the reason why we're talking to you today, Tiger Woods. I want to speak about Phil. Um, Phil, who's the guy that uh, started Nike? Knight. Knight. Phil Knight. So a lot of people have been uh, detractors of of Mr. Woods, but then when I read Phil Knight's book, he said the he was watching a movie with his wife. When the, the news broke that his son had had drowned uh, while traveling, and so uh, they told him, and he says the very very first person who reached out and and talked to and and just just said he was sorry was uh, Tiger Woods. I haven't heard that, and uh, I, I'm uh, I mean I've been an insane fan of Tiger Woods all along. Um, I've read hank haney's book on him which isn't entirely complimentary tiger woods is a uh, a phenomenon and uh it's interesting when you tell me that story he knows where the you know the bread got buttered mm-hmm. and uh um that he was that sensitive to to someone else um hank haney paints a portrait of a very self-centered person who is all about himself and and uh um Maybe that's how you sell books. I don't know. And may also explain, like, they had a broken relationship in the end. So, Well, well Hank Haney says, uh, to emphasize how selfish Tiger was, 
He went to the fridge, got himself a drink, and came back and didn't offer me one. And I was sitting there going, I'm not sure you know how this contract works. But anyway, because <laughs> Mr. Hank, like, come on. Um, but yeah, he, he had his moment of 15 minutes of fame with, with Tiger Woods. And, and I think I saw on the call channel just the other day, I'm Hank Haney. You might remember me. I was the one who trained Tiger Woods. But it's uh, it's funny how he turned that and leveraged that into a whole career. And good for Hank Haney. I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, the other thing I find on this topic really interesting is that Tiger was the top golfer around from a for a long, long time, when he won the Masters in 97, I don't know how old he was, like 20, 21, very young. Yeah. First time, uh, on first year on the tour. So he's at the top of the heap of golf, but he's not afraid to ask other people for help with his mm -hmm. game. Mm -hmm. He wants an edge. He wants whatever's out there, he wants to know about it and, and have that. So Tiger Woods could beat Hank Haney at golf all day all week forever but he will pay him money to watch him swing and, and suggest improvements yeah you know i mean to me that there's a, a certain humility there that the hunger that you need to have to get to the top and stay up there where you don't know it all there's always something new that you can learn and he said various coaches he had uh, butch Harmon, i think and uh, hank haney and, and some probably uh, that other guy who's Name escapes Sean Foley. Oh yeah, Sean Foley. I think he's part of that too. But again, they're analysts. They're not golf pros. They're coaches, and um, you don't need to be a super athlete to be a coach, I guess. No, and and I think for them, it was it was knowing how to work with somebody of uh, Tiger's ability, but also being able to offer him something. So they are mm -hmm. going into the minutia of of a swing which is already, I don't know, in my estimation, from a guy that, you know, will shoot uh, in the 80s. He, his swing is perfect. So I don't know what, you, what you're seeing or what you're doing, but it's got to be with computers and digital, and it's got to go to a high level where Tiger goes, yeah, okay, I got I to gotta bend my pinky two and a half degrees in order to get that ball flight the way I want. Yeah. No. I know you train horses, but is there any other activity that just puts a smile on your face you look forward to doing on a beautiful, sunny Okanagan day? One of the things I just love to do, and it's simple and it's green in every sense of the word, is walk into the backyard and, and work in my garden. Really? And, and yep. what, are you, what are you growing? Uh, I grow, uh, I've got it down to, it's my 45th garden, which I had frozen out earlier this year. Um, for the first time ever, I grow tomatoes, green peppers, squash, and not that I'm a competitive person, I grew the uh, award-winning heaviest pumpkin at the Armstrong Fair. Come on! Not once, but twice. Really? No, you have to share. You have to share. There's got to be a, a golden elixir for this. There is. There is. And part of the garden is uh, a worm ranch, where you're... We're getting into territories I hadn't anticipated here. But, um, I do have a side a side hustle uh, called Compost King Red Wigglers. Ooh, these that little, sounds high-end. These guys, little worms that eat their weight in a day of your household garbage, like all the organic waste that comes out of your house. It goes into my compost pile. They eat it. What comes out the back end, of, and this is not a commercial, uh, it's turned into one. <laughs> What comes out the back end of the worm is five times richer than soil. They compost for me. And since COVID's come along, people are wanting to buy them. Like they, 
I get a customer a week or so showing up, and I don't advertise at all. I don't want any more work than that. But it's a wonderful little um, world. It's like a beehive where you don't get stung. So these little guys work 24 hours a day eating your garbage, reducing your compost, garbage or coffee grounds, tea bags, lemon rinds, whatever, uh, long clippings, so they weeds. they eat them? They eat their way through this stuff. And what comes out the back looks like coffee grounds, and it's rich soil enhancer. So that's going on. Um, I haven't grown one for a while, but I did grow <clears throat> using the compost that these guys produce, this 309-pound gourd. And I, I loved it because they took it up to Armstrong, entered it in the fair, and I got a... 309. Let's, 300, just, let's 309. just take a moment and appreciate that. That's it's nothing compared to the really big guys. There are guys out there growing pumpkins that weigh a ton, okay? And they have to build greenhouses over them. And I know they use it's like there's no rules, right? Like right. the steroids are on to get a, a one ton pumpkin by fall. I grew mine with sunshine water and worm compost tea. So that was it. Uh, how big is that? How big is it? Three hundred nine pound pumpkin. It's it's a lot bigger than a bread box. It's about three feet high and three feet across. And okay. it would be everything for you and I to do to pick it up. Oh, I would imagine like we couldn't. Act, you know, three hundred pounds is a lot. Wow. So th this is among the many other things that we find out about Ralph Livingston. Three hundred. So you are the the pumpkin. Two years in a row? Well, not no, not in a row. That was the funny part. And I have pictures. Uh, the first time I won it was in 1978. You were still in high school, if, if that, probably elementary school. And I entered this um, pumpkin in the fair and won first prize. Now, this goes to show you how times have changed. 205 won in 78. Okay. So it's up to 309. But the funny part about the 309 was that and I, I, I still find this amusing. Um, I got a phone call from the nice people at the fair, and they said, you've won the pumpkin. And I was, Yahoo, that's great. 309 pounds won. She said, you know what came second? I said, no. And she said, a local grower who came in at 308. Oh, no. Can you imagine? And I met the guy, and he was furious with me because <laughs> he's used to winning. And he had grown pumpkins upwards of 600 pounds. But that year, his was 308. Oh, but it was meant to be. Yeah, it was. It was. It was one of those things. I just, I mean, to be, one pound is way less than 1% at 309. Right? Like, well, I'm just wondering out loud, uh, if, you, if you grow the biggest pumpkin, does that get you the ladies? Oh. <laughs> There's... No, there's no correlation whatsoever. You know, all these organic earth mothers showing up. <laughs> it's so fun. This uh, the spring runoff. It's been a month later. We have snowpack, oh plenty. We have rains. We have cooler weather. Are we going to flood? Which What's your best guess? I, I don't think so. I, uh, my meteorology degree is uh, years in the future, so I'm not certain of things. I do watch the weather a lot because we're Canadians. Yeah, you we know what there? Talk about the weather, roll, eh? Roll out the rim there, eh, but yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I think to get a flood, you need a certain uh, perfect storm to set up. And I remember one 
literally at where you live, uh, Bellevue Creek flooded about four or five years ago, and it was insane. Really? I saw it come down. Well, it took out bridges above you. There's bridges on the farm where I work, mm-hmm. and it literally obliterated them. Like this, this wall of water was coming down the mountain. And uh, I watched it take out about 20 feet of a bank and a major uh, pine tree, like, like a ponderosa pine that was, had been there for maybe 100 years gone down the river just the whole bank was washed away and so you need a lot of heat and a lot of snow all at once boom the snow accumulates over the winter but the heat comes on really too fast now with the rain we've had the creeks are up but it's so cool at night and it's so slow i think the 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 worst of its action maybe not behind us but i don't think we're going to get flooded okay okay because i'm going to hold you to that yeah now there's the fellow that controls the water flow for the whole valley and and into the U.S. That is an Im- incredible responsibility. I mean, I can I'm barely given enough responsibility around the house to to you know empty the dishwasher and not break a dish. Like he's controlling lives and insurance and and property and and millions and millions of dollars. Like it's it's a big weighty role, and I. I know we're supposed to say no, there's different checkpoints, but I do believe he's got his finger on the trigger. He does, and um, I'm, I can't remember his name, but I'm... I'm I'll people, find it. I'll remember people, people talking about the man, but um, you've expressed it perfectly. This guy has a tremendous weight on his shoulders to get it right, and he's got lots of data, like the, you know, the lake levels and such. Um, I have noticed from our walk uh, along the lake that they've dropped the level profoundly it's it's way down in anticipation of um of the spring freshet but i don't know i don't know um if it's going to come this year you also have to keep enough water in i don't know if people know this or not but in Kelowna, that's where our drinking water comes from it really is and if you've ever and and i'm not trying to sound like a geek here because i'm not but well i kind of am um but if you ever tour the waste uh treatment plant like sorry the the water treatment plant it's actually really interesting i didn't think i would be because i'm the guy who cannot go on a historical tour i'm sorry about that i can't but i i found it actually incredibly interesting and we've you know they did an 80 million dollar upgrade to the water treatment plant which fundamentally had to and good on it because i mean we have so much more population now to deal with but man, there's a lot of organic and, and ultraviolet rays and a whole bunch of things to keep that water safe. Yeah. I envy you, um, maybe a nerd as well, but I would love to go on a tour of that thing. I remember when they installed it in around, I think it was in the late 70s, and I was living in Kelowna, the Barden Foe. It's South African technology. And it was considered to be state of the art then. That was 40 years ago. The town's grown a bit since then. A, a little bit. And toilets flush. Yeah all over town and people keep coming here so where does it go and how does that work and i I would i'm very sincere i'd love to go on a tour and just to see how they're what they're doing my big question when i see all this development is who's taking care of the sewage how does that work Mm -hmm. well and and i think part of it was they were building for the future which is any infrastructure i think you have to keep your eye on population levels and everything else but the uh, the one element that I was really interested in is the the bugs, like the amount of, of bugs that eat the waste. And again, back to your story about the pumpkins, 
the they have a special kind of of insect that eats the waste makes it biodegradable and and just does a whole bunch of other things so so anyway <laughs> water treatment uh with rick and friends i mean this is fun isn't it it doesn't get better than that so we did find the name of the fellow that controls the okanagan lake water is in the, the flow and the levels and all that kind of stuff his name is sean reimer good thing we have the googs uh, available to us um and and you had a thought ralph about the amount of of consideration needed by a, a man like that which is the people are neighbors to the south Right. The lake flows south, and we, we all know that, and uh, it goes into the Okanagan River. They changed the spelling of it, but it's still the same waterway. And there's people south of uh, the line, as they used to call it, uh, that rely on that water to come down. So his responsibility is to, A, have enough water to keep this thing flowing uh into uh, washington state and whatever uses they need for down downstream at uh for irrigation for drinking for whatever they use it for uh south of uh, the line so mr reimer is very he's got a lot of pressure on him considerable amount of pressure and i wonder if if that would be on the level of uh diplomats ambassadors and and you know if if there was actually talk of those levels because water is life like, I mean, you, you cannot, you can't irrigate you. And let's face it, Washington has an insatiable supply of agriculture that needs to be fed water. So it, it, it's almost, a, a, I would think that there'd be political pressure. Absolutely. I'm, I'm sure they have uh, treaties and uh, I'm no expert on this field, but I know that Columbia, for example, is, is a huge, huge source of water for Washington state. It comes out of Canada, and they have uh, agreements written up that they have to produce a certain amount of volume flow keep to keep going down. I've heard numbers, I can't remember exactly, but there's multiple dams, uh, hydroelectric dams, on the Columbia south of, of Canada. Uh, I'm of Numbers upwards of a dozen little dams on the Columbia River to generate electricity, just alone. Plus, if you've been down to that country, they irrigate all over the place. Um, mm-hmm. Lots and lots of irrigation that uh, makes western or eastern, excuse me, eastern Washington a breadbasket. So they're relying on Canadian water, and it does reach international d- diplomatic levels. Of you know, the, the federal government would certainly be on top of that. So, and and you were saying that your your friend on the lake has seen it where the levels are so volatile that on a very hot day it'll drop two inches. Yeah, I, don't, I hate to use the number like two inches, but it does drop uh, just through evaporation and heat in the summertime. The, the, the just It's incredible. And there are resources, and again, people can Google these sorts of things about, about the lake and the levels of the lake, but it's endlessly fascinating. Like it, and um, controlling the pool. I think they refer to it as the pool. There's so many different things that go through my head when... You say those things but it, it is interesting though that you know for such a, a large body of water it, it's we are obviously it's 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 our being because a lot of people move here and everything else and, and there's a lot of people reliant on it but i find it just fascinating that this relationship with the u.s the water flow and and it's it's falling on on a guy and, and again he probably has a team but i still think and, and no matter what he does, he's in the horrible position. Like, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, someone's someone's going to on every day. Somebody's going to be mad at them. Yeah, they're uh, the other thing I've discovered uh, hiking along. I used to go down and fish south of Peachland uh, at a point in the in the fall. And a friend of mine wrote a book about it, and I went down to where we would go uh, fishing for whitefish. And the whole foreshore has been, uh, to use a construction term, riprap. They put broken rock in because of the the, the lake flooded. People forget really quickly, but the same friend I mentioned to, I kept phoning him, are you flooded out yet? And he said, well, the water's just at, you know, at, at the air intake of my furnace. Um, the lake was up 30 feet that right. the year that uh, the, the other flood I was telling you about took place. So so nature's um, can be sleepy for years and decades and not much goes on and happens, but then it gets angry. And the flooding, I mean, the town of Merritt? Like, but don't, but don't worry, uh, our federal government will tax us and fix it. <laughs> it's always a comforting knowledge. You can go to bed knowing that, that they've, they've got the weather thing figured out. Well, I was talking to a friend of mine about this today. Have you driven to Vancouver lately on the Coke? Uh, no. You come to a junction, a juncture. It's called Kingsvale. It's where the Coke should have come out from Kelowna and yeah. didn't. We won't go into that. Yeah. That was the Socred boondoggle. Um, but where you come to a place on the Coquihalla where climate change is presented in living color, you've got the f- mountainside burned off and the bridge washed out mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. same place. Mm-hmm. How do you? Ha- how does that work? It's a good point. Actually. Atmospheric river uh, and and the heat dome, and it all happened last year. It was like everything and. That merit deal didn't happen till November. Um, pretty sure it was November, and the town got flooded. Wouldn't the atmospheric river hit? Well, and then and, and they did say it was a hundred, at least a hundred year event because uh, Mike Jacobs, who did the construction on that, said people have no idea how much rain fell in a historic manner. Like, and and, and nothing on record really touched that. Yeah. So it it could be more than a hundred years. So yeah. Uh, from straight from our Kelowna Now uh, online page here is the 40% of Canadians support taking the nickel out of circulation. Is it time for the nickel to go the way of the penny? Well, now here's a question I wasn't ready for. Uh, my five cents worth on that is <laughs> it probably costs us money to have it around and nickels aren't I mean, what would you use a nickel for? I can't even think. Like you used to remember putting nickels into uh, the coin-operated gumball machines, but yeah, and and, and based back- on based on inflation and pricing, and and I've been in you know a number of stores. I still love using cash, but whenever I give them cash, um, and it's less than five cents, I have no no purpose with that because mm-hmm. even if. Because I used to get my kids to roll the the nickels and dimes and everything else, and and you know after a full night of rolling, you have three dollars. Like yeah. it just it it doesn't even make a lot of sense. And I'm not by any means uh, filthy rich. I'm not. I'm just saying it 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 is really it costs us more through the mint to make. Oh sure. Um, but it's also a sign of the times that a nickel doesn't mean anything anymore. Now you're under the big the big one. <laughs> the big one being the inflation. Right? Yeah. And uh, uh, a friend of mine told me the other day, and I can't, I still can't believe this, but he wouldn't lie to me. His 
brand new F-150, mm-hmm. $250 to fill it up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think it lasts a week. Yeah, that's that's when it starts to really hurt. And, and that's why uh, EV is becoming such a big thing. But they're now... Again, I'd have to get the official report from Fortis, but I, I understand that if too many EVs hit the road, and now they're talking about the new tax, because as a lot of people know or don't know, that there's a gasoline tax that actually helps pay for the road maintenance. Mm-hmm. So, so the EVs actually have to pay uh, a one-time fee for the road maintenance because they use the roads as well. They don't float yeah, yeah. above it. Yeah. But I, I do find it interesting that if we have too many we actually can't afford to have too many on the grid because yeah. the grid will actually fail. You know, the grid, uh, there's only, it's, when you think of the numbers of vehicles out there, extant in British Columbia, and uh, what percentage of them are EV, I don't know. But if they were to, to flip it over so that they were all EV, uh, the, you know, Site C and all that power that's generated wouldn't wouldn't be enough to to fuel these things. So, they haven't thought that through to the end, to the logical conclusion. It's been a novelty, and now with the gas prices, people are going, "Oh, I'm going to get an electric car." Well, okay, but if everyone does it, it's going to be. I, I can see a, a real disaster coming because there won't be enough power to get them going. Keep and, them going. And and from what I've heard of the, you know, and, and I've driven to Alberta numerous times and done the number three and gone through Picture Butte and Pincher Creek where they have all the windmills. And apparently that has not exactly generated a lot of energy as much as they thought it would for the cost of the windmills. So that's a whole other subject. But anyway, it's a typical conversation we have, actually. <laughs> Follow the bouncing logic. <laughs> So, uh, top story, I don't have a lot of information yet, but uh, proposed development means 19 greens. That wonderful place will not open this year. Um, and, and, and again, I think I've, I've been on 19 greens several times because it's a tourism thing to do. What's, what I find, though, is it screws up my putting. It actually screws because the greens are so big that when you push it, and you get to a to a course where the greens are normal size, you know you're you're hammering that ball, you're hammering it. So, but I'm I'm sad about that. I'm I'm sad about we're going to lose another uh, tourism activity. One could say. Well, I've seen in my time in Kelowna uh, two or three golf courses paved over, and I. I really think that we we should have saved them. Uh, the, the two that come to mind are there was a little par three on Lakeshore Road called Fairview, and uh, Progress took it away. There's condominiums there now. No one would know it ever existed. There was a nice um, meandering track along Mill Creek called Shadow Mountain Shadows, mm, and not Shadow Ridge. Not Shadow Ridge. It was called Mountain Shadows in the '70s, and, and they may have changed its name. But um, you would never know it's there because it's now the Walmart parking lot. Mm. And it was, you know, a piece of greenery in, in the community. Uh, I don't know who made the decision. They put the Walmart on Mountain Shadows and they left the feedlot for many years up the street, uh, smelling up the neighborhood. I thought they should get rid of the feedlot and put Walmart there and keep it green. Like mm-hmm. anything at all. Uh, no one asked me. Well, uh, I mean, if you were sitting on the land on on the west side of Kelowna, 
West Kelowna, and and you had this, you know, it's a beautiful view of the lake. It's it's really high end property. I mean, oh, yeah. really. So and and you had the chance to sell it for millions per acre. I I mean, I would be hard pressed to say no to that myself. Even though, you know, I do think there needs to be a balance there. But I also to look at the property on Springfield, Springfield right down to Ben Volen, which the Bennetts own. And that property will is too small to to be agri- like usefully agriculturally focused, and I find it interesting. And I know some conversations swirl around that that nobody has has been able to release that out of ALR. Yeah, I know the property you're referring to. It uh, it sits there. It's it's you know realistically the city surrounding it. Um, I, I don't understand the, the the decision rests with the Agricultural Land Commission on that one. Oh, we know it does. And they've uh, I know I've talked to people about this. I don't know anyone who's on the commission anymore, but they have dug their heels in and, and they've they've come up with a, like a zero zero tolerance for uh, taking land out of the land reserve. Um, but from the way I understand it, is that a proposal was created to say we will put the same amount of land elsewhere into the ALR that's not currently, and this will come out of the land. Yep, a trade. It'll be a trade. And it was still rebuffed. So I'm I'm not exactly sure why, because, I mean, as we drive through Kelowna, that is really one of the most interesting areas for, not interesting, uh, it would make the most sense from my standpoint. I'm not a planner, but it would seem to make a lot of sense for commercial. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's it's begging for development, and it will be developed at some point. It's just it just the pressures are too great. In in the business of real estate, there's something called highest and best use of the land, and it changes all the time. Going back to the um, 19 greens, yeah, 19 greens has been around what 20 years now or so. Um, it's it's what I consider to be an attraction, like Old McDonald's Farm. And the two or three different water slides that were on the west side, all these things are gone. Like yeah. they're not the highest and best use of the land anymore. Times have changed. That particular property with its view out over Kelowna would is oh, it's spectacularly valuable and be used as a as something to screw up your putting. I mean, <laughs> is it really the best use of the land? Well, there you have it. There you have it. No. So, the only thing I, I can say is, uh, if you have a favorite recreational activity in this town, enjoy it to the max because it won't last. Uh, you just told me you spent. Did you spend four hundred dollars? No, no okay. I have friends that did. So James Taylor came to BC Place. BC Place, the big one of the big arenas of Rogers. Rogers, okay. yep. Yeah. Uh, and they spent how much? How much on the ticket? They had four tickets. Uh, two couples went to see them, and the tickets cost four hundred dollars each. So sixteen hundred dollars plus gas, plus accommodations, plus meals, restaurant meals, all that kind of stuff. So they're uh, easily three thirty five hundred probably for the weekend. Add it up; it adds up fast. So that being said, and and this is just something about life experience and all that kind of stuff. It came through COVID. Uh, we were we were you know, caged animals, so to speak. I th- was this recent? Yep. Yeah, okay. it was uh, in the last month. Okay. So, again, I asked the question if I, 
and I'm not saying 3,500 is not a great deal of money. It is. I mean, that gives you a couple of tanks in your F-150 for sure. But I'm just wondering out loud is, is it better to spend that money and, and go to that concert or would you, or is that $3,500 better spent somewhere else? Like it's a value equation. Mm-hmm. It depends on, on the experience that you have when you're there. Um, you'll be able to tell your grandchildren they, uh, you know, I saw Are James. Are kids interested? I wonder. The great question. That's that's a you rich a rich vein. I have uh, various friends are telling me they're saving things for their grandkids, and I always roll my eyes and go, "Your grandkids don't care about your horse <laughs> certificates that you won, right? They just don't. Uh, they care probably more for the apple pies that grandma makes. Yeah, and they'll remember them forever. Uh, we all remember our grandmas and their baking and and things like that that they did um but telling them like i saw bob dylan like <laughs> really grandpa saw bob dylan really and 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 they're not going to go to their encyclopedia and look that up um the other thing is <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is you you my father passed uh away years ago but before he he moved into a smaller condo when my mom passed he had all of his tools in the garage sale. We had, um, you know, woodworking tools, like exquisite pieces of, of art, really, these tools were. And and people come by and offer him like $2 for something that he found priceless. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was sad in a way, but it also gave me a, a very big realization that stuff that's really important to me, like my Calgary Flames Stanley Cup banner is probably not going to go... You know, my kids are going to clamor over that thing. Like, it's it's for me. It's for myself. Photo albums, all that kind of stuff. That's for me. And I, I wonder about that. Do you ever wonder, like, you know, do I start do I start purging this stuff? Or is that just something left to the next generation? No, I think about it a lot. And uh, I've come up, I have a, a, an unpublished book on the subject. You've heard, you've heard the... the um, theory keep it simple sweetheart the yeah. kiss the kiss theory and i've modified it to um, throw out something sweetheart right so it's a it's the toss maxim get rid of something and i don't do it every day but i wish that i did is something's got to go and especially for uh we boomers it's um there's a lot of stuff that needs needs purging it's going to mean nothing to the next generation and you're um I keep getting this wrong, but it was Thoreau who said that we are, uh, what was the word? We're, we fritter our lives away on details and to simplify, simplify, simplify. Mm-hmm. Um, get rid of, and, and the first easiest way of simplifying is getting rid of the, the unnecessary things. So I've tried to get into the practice of this. I'm not there yet, but if I buy something, uh, I try to remove something yeah. of said of said items. So and that's I, a good start. I, I bought a motorcycle jacket. I had, and, and so lovely Jen asked me, okay, so what's leaving? And, and she's helping me with this, this lesson. And, and I still haven't brought myself to, to remove the said items, but I, it is just like Amber Heard said, I'm, I'm pledging to do so. I haven't done it yet, but I will do it. You know, it's a start, and whether you follow through every day, I think 
once you get into it's it's forming the habit takes 21 days to form a habit but if you look around and you say okay there's something here that has to go now when i say has to go it doesn't have to go in the garbage it can go to um recycle it to sally ann well give it to some friend of yours i was um i had a minor thing about collecting guitars for a short period of time and they're sitting there nothing's going on with them and i thought you know what i have friends who are musical they will like these objects and their eyes light up oh yeah and you and you're giving me this and going yes i am because it's just gathering dust and but but that looks it looks amazing in the house i i don't care what designer you are or, or what your feel is but a guitar sitting there you know just just sitting there I don't know. It gives me a great feeling. It gives me the, that feeling of great music will be played out of that or not. It mm-hmm. might come out 10 o'clock at night after a few wobblies. Who knows? But but for the most part, I love music and I love backyard music and those organic little moments. Those mm-hmm. are great. Yeah. And guitars yeah. Are, are really that, that instrument for that. Yeah, absolutely they are. Uh, as long as they get used. Well, a, a friend of mine said he... he uh, had enough guitar lessons to play the opening for Stairway to Heaven. And he said he would uh, find a girl and he would start playing Stairway to Heaven and then he would screw up one of the chords and he's just let, let me try one more time. So he'd start and then he'd say, oh, you know what? It's just not there tonight. She goes, oh, no, it's fine. Just put the guitar away. And he says it was really good because he says that's all I actually knew how to play. It was everything he had. Yeah. And we, we get to talking off of the air, and, and we started chatting about, I don't know how we got on the subject, but trademarks. And uh, and I was about to tell you a story of, of my good friend Scott, he used to run a car dealership, and he had, <laughs> he showed me, and, and I'm in marketing media, and he showed me this new flyer he'd come out with, and it was it was Car Wars, and he had you know, uh, lightsabers and, and we'll, uh, you know, we'll, we'll cut savings and, and, uh, you know, in a, in a galaxy right, right here. And, uh, I said, um, I, I think, I think George Lucas is probably going to have a significant issue with this one. And, uh, he giggled and said, well, maybe, I don't know. And, you know, are they ever going to listen to a little Dodge dealership down here in the old Kelowna? And I said, probably. And so a lawyer from Edmonton called and said, um, hey, very creative, stop immediately. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, and, and Scott says, well, come on, it's just a flyer. And he goes, okay, okay, but it's intellectual rights. I can go into it. But he said, for the most part, just stop. <laughs> just See, stop. it's all time and money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it was funny because he, he uh, George Lucas has... Anytime it goes on the internet, of course, that's where they, they, they just do a search every, I'm, I'm not sure, maybe it's daily to find out who's ripping off our stuff today. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and we're, we'll plug that leak, right? Yeah. yeah and, and you have your, your lawyers phone them, smarten them up. I've uh, always threatened to open a coffee shop. I mean, I had the location and everything figured out. At the corner, again, we're talking about colonial locations. Um, ben Volan, KLO Road, there was a car dealership. And it's now a little mini mall with restaurants and stuff in it. Um, and I wanted to have a drive through coffee deal there where you only got one kind of coffee. It was the antithesis of Starbucks. Hot black coffee for two bucks. Ooh. drive through, get it, go. All right? Yeah. Jim Norton's. Really? 
Do you think they would sue me? I think so. Yeah, I think they would too. <laughs> so, so, tra- so I, I think the takeaway from this whole thing is um, we have to be careful. Anything on the internet is going to be for, obviously, for world domain. And, uh, and yeah, and if you're going to steal something, keep it, keep it low level. Like, I mean, really off the internet, I well, would say is is imitation theft and and that and you get into trademark law here and what is and what isn't um allowable um i i would like to test that jim norton's and see what they think of it um but, but you can't tell me somebody's not named jim norton but i think it's the courteous nature and and i've heard of this in in entertainment circles i've read about it because i'm obviously not in those circles but uh if they use a riff of somebody else's work or or a beat or a rhythm or something like that as long as they ask permission and say hey i'm thinking about doing this is that okay quite often they will say yeah by all means sample the music and and go for it but i think it's when they use it and they don't ask for yes yeah yeah and and uh, that's the um it, it all comes down to the word respect and if you disrespect them mm-hmm. they're certainly they they've got the uh they have the financial heft and and you know the wherewithal the wherewithal to get after you and with the principles um because they can actually afford to go through the principles uh and actually this radio station was was sued recently well threatened but uh we we've cleared that up now so it's all good (laughs) i was i was told by a listener who said "I, i don't know who you're talking to uh so can you just elaborate more on on them so i've known ralph for Gosh, uh, close to, well, Jack is 18 now, so I would say uh, probably 16 years. I would yes. say 16. Actually, I think I can remember the time we met, Rick. The very first time I set eyes on you was at a New Year's Eve party around 2000. Wow. Were you in Kelowna then? Yeah. yeah. I, was, I was here in uh, 94, 95, I think. Okay, so certainly by 2000. and uh, Alberta refugee. Yeah, well, you're welcome. I mean, so I I, I want to dive into this one. This is um, uh, off corner now. Conservatives NDP demand more action from liberals to reduce cost of living. So the Tories are calling on Trudeau's government to temporarily suspend the GST on gas and diesel, suspend the carbon tax, and remove all federal COVID nineteen uh, restrictions. Thoughts go. Okay, uh, I'm down with uh, seven-eighths of that, but I don't like the way they blended the work the COVID part into it. Um, People need to know, and and they used to make them do it. At at gas pumps, they had a a sticker, which the gas companies would say, the gas is expensive. This is how much we get out of this, and this is how much the government gets. Oh, yeah, yeah. Half of the cost of, of every liter you pay goes to the government. And, and you've already mentioned this afternoon, uh, the, there's a logical reason for that. Road maintenance is paid for publicly. Mm-hmm. So we need to, the people that use the road, it's a user pay system. But now there's carbon taxes on that and there's uh, transit taxes on that and taxes on taxes and taxes. So half of the cost of, of if gas is 220 a liter, a buck 10 of that's going to the government. So could the government cut some slack on that? Um, I think so. The, the, <laughs> There's uh, there's room there for them to back back down, and it's going on in certain jurisdictions. I know in the states that they're they're and and different provinces. I think Alberta has cut back. Um, now, 
there is a counter argument to that that the corporations are just going to take that money and keep the prices high i don't know how you see you get into a whole enforcement issue there like um will prices go down if the government cuts this, the taxes back they can't cut it all back but they've made every gas station in Canada a tax collector, and it's huge. It's a huge revenue mm-hmm. source for them. So, and I was reading about a survey where um, it was they were talking about at a certain level when the price gets to a certain amount, the demand actually goes down because people just figure out various ways to get around. Like they they start taking public transit or. Or they carpool more, or they take their bikes, or what have you. And, and with the advent of, of electric bikes, that's that's certainly a reality for some people. So, I do think that there's going to be a threshold that we hit, and and no matter what, either the corporations or the government is going to have to say, okay, enough's enough, and and now we have to pull this back because our food, everything comes on on trucks and train and and fuel from the jets, like everything comes through this energy and i don't think a lot of people wrap their head around that we have a civilization built on cheap oil it's a civilization and uh, when i say cheap oil it cheap energy it be it natural gas or oil uh the is you really see it in cities like calgary and edmonton where they actually make the stuff um and their economies are built on that but in a really direct way we don't see it so much in british columbia but we live in a cold country we need energy to keep us warm in the winter time we need to get from a to b and various uh, rural locations people don't have a choice they have to drive their vehicles and when i see i've seen numbers on social media what truckers are paying a thousand bucks a day for fuel mm. Um, they have to charge that back somewhere and small guys go under, mm-hmm. you know, this is, if it wasn't enough with COVID going after small business people, this incredibly high fuel costs and everything else uh, inflated because of it is putting small operators out and down. And that's, that's sad. That's a terrible thing. And I, I do think that if, uh, th- they have to continue this, this call to, uh, to the government, because I, now again, there was so much money spent during COVID. So maybe we're, we're, you know, admittedly so we're in the hole. Um, but I think some people need some relief. Yeah, it, it depends on whose ox is being gored. The, the government has been in the hole for forever and continues to go in at a faster rate. So you know they're looking at, uh, but they have they always have money for their pet projects. It's just this time the pet project is in, and we could get into a philosophical political discussion about um, do they have another agenda? They don't want people using their cars, right? Yeah, no, that and that's true. And uh, but the trouble is between November and March, I, I have to say I haven't seen a lot of people on in Ottawa just uh, biking to work. So there's that. Now Ralph. On his own accord, has created uh, an informal survey, and and this is the same man who has won with his horse. Now he didn't win it, but his horse did. That he trained Queen's Plate, uh, won the largest pumpkin two years, not in a row, at the Armstrong Fair. So, the informal informal survey. What what is it? Engaging minds want to know. Rick, I was out there as recently as this morning doing a survey on the safety 
and I'm also was a, a trained safety professional, um, the safety presentation of bicyclists in Kelowna, and I'm very serious here. I want people to hear this loud up, boys and girls. It's called, a big word, it's called conspicuity. You have to be seen. You're in traffic with no protection. I was the original bicycle commuter downtown. I rode from the house that you know where my wife had a daycare to my office on Queensway. And I would ride back. And the first week I was riding my bicycle, I got hit by a car. And I swore I would never get hit again. I didn't quit riding my bicycle, but I got real loud. I had the flag, and people would laugh at me, and I spray-painted the bike fluorescent orange and my helmet fluorescent orange you must be seeing people you're out there riding bikes wearing gray clothing it's not a good idea some one guy in my informal survey was didn't have a helmet um, there's arguments that helmets won't help you in a car collision but i think it's a good idea um, you're in a sea of moving steel mm-hmm. 30 40 50 kilometers an hour they if they can't see you they will run over you be seen please please you can buy really loud fluorescent uh safety gear at at costco for 10 bucks or at mark's warehouse get it on and wear it please wear a vest be seen in traffic so further to this so my my son who uh love of course immensely uh as do my daughter but he was riding his bicycle uh he was heading on gordon turning onto dehart and uh, heading south under heart, I guess. And he he saw a bit of a break in traffic, and he thought traffic had stopped. So he thought he would he would just take a quick turn, not go the full way around, hit by a car, come off of his bike, and and th- thank goodness for all of the karma because he hit a smart car mm. uh, with his body, then his head. His head broke, like actually broke the windshield. Thank goodness he was fine. Thank goodness it was it it could have been worse. But what what was interesting about it was he wasn't wearing a helmet. And when uh, when he called me, thank goodness he was the one who called me and says, "Dad, uh, just if you wouldn't mind coming and pick me up, my bike is broken." And I said, "Where are you calling from?" He says, "From an ambulance." Mm. So it, it's a horrible call to get as a parent. But what was great was the fire department, the police. And the ambulance were all single. Each one of them took turns yelling at him about not wearing a helmet and saying, you should be in a body bag right now. And yep. you are so lucky to not actually be lying on the ground bleeding out right now. So it it is, it, it's a good reminder. He was not wearing high-vis. And I know you're a big advocate of high-vis. And uh, But it's not cool, Ralph. It's not I, cool. Okay. And, and this is this is the, 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 the rub. It's vanity over safety. And um, I don't know how much I can reveal about my career where uh, I was personally responsible for making the RCMP bicyclists wear high-vis. Oh, you're the guy. We have the Canada Labor Code, boys and girls. And uh, it sets out right here. If you're going to be in traffic, you must have X amount of square inches of high-vis wear on. They wanted to wear their olive green things and slide in like Mm -hmm. quietly. And I said, it's it's cool as long as you stay in City Park. (laughs) Okay, so and you're, they you're they asked the man. Okay. They asked me for my home. They, they wanted my home address and driver's license number, <laughs> and that was presented to me as the argument for not doing it was it wasn't cool. Yeah. Construction workers wear that stuff. Well, I don't care. 
Yeah. I really don't care if you're not cool. You, the story you just uh, described with Jack getting hit by a car, it's never pretty. It's expensive. It really costs people a lot of money. The taxpayers who are not involved in this, if you get smacked on your bicycle. And my informal survey today is, please, wear a vest. Wear at least a minimum of a vest. And, and with the sales of e-bikes going through the roof, mm-hmm. people being able to hit speeds they've never hit before. I have to say that that's probably a pretty good idea. So, okay, we have Ralph Livingston, who's uh, actually in some some ways influencing the police department. At the end of this, uh, just if anyone's looking for us, we are uh, in points unknown. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we were just chatting about um, loud pipes, and I have lots of different friends who say that uh, the, the loud pipes on their Harleys and, and, and various other bikes, like there's not just Harleys, there's there's Victories, there's, you know, a friend of mine has a Honda with loud pipes. They're just, they call them straight pipes. Um, and you as a safety expert, well, that was your job at one point. Um, what are your thoughts on the old uh, loud pipes here? I'm completely opposed to them. Uh, Safety literature will tell you at 87 decibels, you have hearing damage. And these guys, and it's written right in the, I'm told, I haven't researched it this afternoon, but the uh, laws of British Columbia, the rules of the road are you can't exceed 87 decibels. And these guys, if you have a car that made that much noise, they would take you off the road instantly. But the bikes are out there and it, it destroys the the peace and beauty of a summer afternoon. And you're in Falkland, way up in the hills in a, in a horse clinic and you can hear the bikes roaring down the the valley it's just just horrible i don't know what it does for the riders i know that they put earplugs and things in but i'm uh, i'm not allowed um um, and i did have a a dirt biking uh, background and what if you go to um, bluegrass mountain and bear creek motorcycle uh, off-road facility uh you'll see signs that say less sound more ground Mm. and what that means is don't make so much noise don't upset your neighbors Uh, and uh, there's ways of muffling these things there's ways of unmuffling them you get more power you know so what um have a little respect for other people and uh, i'm really down on noisy bikes I, i hate them we 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 actually are starting to sound like the two old old grumpy guys But it, it, it is true. I was one of those that had a beautiful Victory Vegas and it was black and it had chrome and everything else. And they said, no, no, take all of those baffles out and, and just. And after a while, it was actually, uh, it made me nervous to drive through my neighborhood because I knew I was probably, because, you know, as somebody who's had kids, there's usually a baby sleeping somewhere. There's mm-hmm. usually somebody trying to have a nap or shift workers or anything else. And then I come bumbling through the neighborhood. So I, I have to actually say that there's, there's um, when people say, no, it saves lives. I, I, I'd have to say that in a lot of respects, we don't know all of the, <laughs> the different echo chambers that can be created with a, a loud pipe. And I think that's the other part of this too, is that I, I'd have to see the survey. That it saves lives. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't sure the science is there at all. And it's cool to be really noisy. I mean, I remember uh, when I was 16, 17 years old. A friend of mine had a six fifty BSA with straight pipes. It sounded like a machine gun mm-hmm. going off, and the police would chase him. Yeah, yeah. Around trying to catch him, and and uh, he managed to evade them. Um, 
but you're you're a bad apple you know this is a friend of yours well he actually lent me the bike once and i rode it home for lunch and he could hear me across town all the way and he the phone was ringing when i arrived home when i went in for lunch in my house he, and he used bad words to describe me but uh, he said you know i heard you all the way to your house so i i know what it's like to be 16 or 17 and want a loud bike but uh there's no upside to that at all none and also it's damaging the hearing of the of the driver operator of the vehicle it is like you know it's just not good yeah no if if by all means turn up the rock music but not the pipes no not the pipes and uh the same guys that got those won't wear i mean you would have to hold a gun to their head to make them wear a lime green shirt oh no on, there's there's yeah. nothing happening there no i said so you're wasting breath on those characters uh but at the same time they are aware that they are um prey if you will in in the chaos on the highways because people don't see them well that is part of the charm though is the ill repute mm, yeah right? it is it is it's it's the marlon brando yeah the wild bunch right i'm 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 a cool guy and you just don't want to be the rebel without a clue yeah <laughs> Or the green guy riding your bicycle to work, smoking a cigarette. We're, we're bringing the ship in. Okay, we only have a couple of uh, moments left. But I wanted to get your ideas on... I flew uh, recently and had to mask up on the plane, all that kind of good stuff. Part of me... Now, again, people know exactly how I feel about the masks. I don't like them. I never have liked them. I understand and appreciate courteous behavior and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, and I was one of those guys that, you know, slid it down a little bit and tried to breathe some fresh air, but on an airplane, it feels like recycled air anyway. Mm -hmm. So I'm actually oddly okay with wearing a mask. Like I, I generally have gotten sick on an airplane, like just a cold or a, like a sniffle or something like that. I don't know if it's COVID, but I, I mean, I'm actually it's odd to hear me say this but i actually feel like i would probably wear a mask on a plane i hear you and i think it comes down to proximity like you don't get that close to people normally but on an airplane you're you could be two abreast or three abreast touching right and it just uh, to me it's just a simple thing to for, for the duration of that flight put on a mask and like you say you're breathing recycled air anyway now they say they've got wonderful filters on those planes that, that take out uh, all the way down to viruses i would i don't know if the science is that good or not but i also know before covid people would get ill on airplanes all the time coming off of planes right like mm -hmm. and uh, uh they were the vectors for all kinds of colds and flus and and not big stuff but i mean somebody would say oh, i just flew home from toronto and they could start coughing and hacking because they've been in, in with what another hundred people how many people are on a plane oh no and that's just it and i was sitting next to a fellow and i got bumped up it was one of those beautiful things where i got bumped up to uh to business class and i was sitting next to a fellow and he was struggling with you know a cough and, and a cold and this is pre-covid and uh, who knows it could have been covid way back then but uh i was i was down and out when i got to where i was going because I was okay when I got on the plane. I was not okay going off. And they say they, you know, they sanitize and all that stuff. And again, I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the other side of it where I, you know, I, I truly have, have belief that if you, 
eat well, stay active, all these other things. You know, you have a pretty good immune system, but man, on an airplane, it is like a, a Petri dish. Mm -hmm. That's a great way to describe it. It's a Petri dish hurtling through the air at 600 miles an hour, and you're breathing in what everyone else has got. Um, you could talk yourself out of air travel, <laughs> except for one formulaic consideration. A friend of mine pointed this out to me. Uh, a day on the road is an hour in the air. That is true. And if you're going to Toronto. Well, Edmonton. Edmonton is one of those places where my parents used to live. It's literally 10 hours from Kelowna or 55 minutes. Yeah. yeah, And, and it doesn't take that long if you're going the right direction because you gain an hour. Yeah. So the hour flight doesn't exist. It's, it really does make a difference. 10 hours driving to Edmonton. And now with the price of fuel. I don't know. Hey, is that a thing? Put on your mask, jump on the plane. I would wear a mask on a plane and and uh, and, and think nothing of it, really, just out of respect for everybody else. Uh, and the other thing is, and we don't have time probably to get into this in any detail. Strange things happen in airplanes. People become their behavior changes, uh, especially in the old days. I remember traveling, and you would watch the guy sitting beside you order drink after drink, mm -hmm. and uh, become quite obnoxious uh, during the flight. Right? Like, and I'm, I don't know about serving alcohol in planes if, if it's a big thing anymore or what. Uh, you, uh, you hear about air rage, and people you see the videos of people getting in fistfights. In airplanes, and I'm kind of going, really? Like, did, did you hear about the the fellow who was uh, in in front of or behind Mike Tyson, and he kept saying, you know, you're not so tough, and he he was literally picking on one of the toughest men <laughs> men ever created on the planet, and eventually Mike hit him, and I'm again not advocating violence. You're supposed to say that, but the guy was asking for it, and he got it, and it was. Now, from just a, the armchair position I have, which is, I enjoy I enjoy life, I enjoy characters, and I enjoy these these moments in time where somebody got what was coming to them. Yeah, just desserts right on the spot. Yeah, instant karma. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Tyson. <laughs> the decision making of that person is just unprecedented. Well, it's again, it's celebrity uh, madness that goes on. But again, people become a little deranged in small, confined spaces and thirty thousand feet in the air. And, and it's uh, to, to pick a fight with Mike Tyson. Now, I can see Tyson going. Uh, you know, and the other thing he's got to be aware: wherever you go now, someone can video whatever you do. Oh no, he was videotaped. That's why yeah. it went viral. Yeah, yeah. and um, Tyson's going uh i can't hit this guy because the the lawyers will be lined up for years but but that and the and the fact that you have a guy that was in and and i've always said this about elite athletes they're fundamentally not great at taking out the garbage or being soft and kind like the michael jordans the tiger woods uh the lance armstrongs um the mike tysons like the true greats the singular focus needed to perform at that level, at that level, for that long of a time, you cannot be on the other side being able to uh, to sit down and have tea time and, and coffee chatter with people. They're just not built that way. They're, they're built to turn a switch and, and turn on the game. And so Mike Tyson, um, very, I'm, I'm sure, a lovely individual. But again, if you, if you knock on that door, he will answer. Because... Mm -hmm. 
that's what he spent most of his life doing. That's what he's known for. Yeah. So yeah. I don't think you would get the same. I, I think you would get the same uh, response from from anyone who's boxed. It's just okay, okay. And I think it was three times he turned it down. Yeah. 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 I, I wanted to mention it was a story you told me about a farrier that uh, a younger guy and and you knew instinctively that he was going to be uh, one of those people that was going to continue to have a great career. He seemed to just have uh, a whole bunch of things going for him. And and tell tell me a little bit about why you thought that about this particular gentleman. I. Uh... And, and tell everybody what a farrier is. A, a farrier, first of all, is is a person who trims horses' feet and makes horseshoes and puts them on the horses' feet. And you think, really, is there is there anyone left doing that? But there are farriers in the Okanagan Valley, and I had the uh, distinct pleasure of working with one fellow and his wife, who's also a farrier. Um, he was a young man that came out here from Manitoba, and uh, I watched him start in this community. He didn't have a lot of clients, and he since built up his business. But um, what I was most impressed with, I think, Jack was his work. His name's Jack. Um, it was his work ethic, and he would take work as a security guard when he was like in downtimes, right? And I watched him and his wife work hard, and in the space of five years coming to Kelowna, they have uh, been able to establish a business, get their business up and running well and bought property. And uh, it's encouraging to see the younger generation do that. And it just, he has a, a business mindset and he's looking for opportunities, um, just hard work and, and uh, uh, a critical mind, a mind that's looking for um, opportunities um, I don't know a lot of young people, period, let alone young farriers that, that read the, uh, the tax roll sales and see where opportunities are for buying property. And he would, do, he would be doing these kinds of things. And I'm thinking, this is, this is impressive. This guy is, uh, is a self-made man. So this is, uh, give, me, give me an age range for the people listening. How old would this person I'm, be? He's, uh, say, 35. Uh, I'd hate to embarrass him by talking about him uh, to the exact age he is, but he's that generation, the age of my children. Okay. Um, millennials, I guess. They're yeah. you know, not Gen X, but, but the, the generation after that. So, so let me get this straight, though. He came... Uh, established his business, worked very, very hard from what I understand from you. He, he never missed a time. He always did what was necessary, did probably more than what was necessary in, in a job that's, I, I think, diminishing as far as the people that do the job. Yep. And uh, made something of a name for himself very quickly and then bought property and now, you know, has a, a pretty good life, which is fundamentally the the dream it's I the mean, canadian dream and and i've literally when you watch it happen in front of your eyes and you see the guy and you know him from the start when, when he was he had just arrived and he didn't have many clients um it's hard uh, physical work and it can be very dangerous mm -hmm. uh you can be put out of business in in a blink of an eye and uh, a horse kicks you a horse rears up or whatever um and you work with your hands and you, if you don't work, you don't get paid. Right. No, it's uh, it's it's very illuminating as always to chat with you, Ralph. I so appreciate the time you gave us, and uh, and you know what, you'll probably come back. I just oh, know it. Oh, I look forward to it, Rick. It's it's always fun.